0: Hi, I'm Jimmy Blett, and welcome to Episode 4 of Inside Imigo. We are recording on the unceded First Nation and Indigenous lands of Jojoke as uninvited guests of the Ganyagahaga, Huron-Wendat, Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. Imigo Theatre is privileged and grateful to live and work on these lands. And Imigo is committed to connecting and working with First Nation and Indigenous artists and arts workers to make space for their stories, in order to create a greater understanding of what living here now really means. Today I'm speaking about The Flood by Leah Simone Bowen with Karen Roberts who plays Sophia. I will also be playing multiple roles in this production. Imago Theatre is presenting the world premiere of The Flood this February at Centaur Theatre. In the basement prison below Toronto's St. Lawrence Market, melting ice water pours into the prison from Lake Ontario and women must come together to survive. The flood gives voice to the little-known stories of women prisoners in Canada while examining our systemically racist justice system. Karen Roberts is of Caribbean heritage and is a resident of Jojoke. She graduated from Dawson College's professional theatre program and is an alumna of the Black Theatre Workshop's Artist Mentorship Program. She is grateful for every opportunity acting has brought her way since it took her by surprise. Karen has performed on stage with What Rough Beast from Theatre West End and Tantalus, serving Elizabeth at Theatre Aquarius, How Black Mothers Say I Love You with Black Theatre Workshop, reaching for Starlight at Jory Theatre, for Coloured Girls with Les Cis Productions and Montreal Arts Interculturel, and Binti's Journey with Theatre Direct and Black Theatre Workshop. She can also be seen in the upcoming short film, Adios, from Production like Tigresse and Tarte Films. Karen's experience confirms there is nothing better than when your passion meets your purpose. She aims to create characters and stories that express the full spectrum of the African diaspora. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm pretty good. I think this is the first time... Mm-hmm. You and I are actually sitting down and having a conversation together outside of maybe at BTW. Yeah. Because because when you were there as mm-hmm. a mentee, I was there as a mentor. Yes. Right? Yeah. There's
1: a 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. So
0: we didn't get an opportunity to sit down and actually talk. No. I saw your work, <laughs> which was always very lovely. Thank you. Um, but I'm excited to be doing this, but also to... Be working together with you. Yes, we start rehearsals tomorrow. On
1: we're working on the flood by Leah Simone Bowen, directed right. by Yvette Nolan.
0: Right, yeah. and so how did uh, how did this project come to be for
1: you? I think I saw the audition notice through um, the Equity emails, and I was like, oh, well, I've always wanted to work with Imigo. It's local, and I was very interested in the story. I like doing uh, Canadian stories, especially if um, if it helps illuminate hidden histories.
0: Right. When you sent out your stuff for the audition, had you had you read the play already?
1: I I read the play before the audition. So, um once I saw the audition notice and I submitted and I asked to have access to the the script.
0: Okay, what was your first impression?
1: Moving. Dark. But it is so lovely. It was just see the story of a woman. In this horrible situation, I see some of the beauty of the, some of the friendships that were developed by, between the characters and the sort of bittersweetness that just really encompassed what I can only imagine, really, is what was possible in such a situation. Right. Yeah.
0: Like, I, when, I, when I read the script for the first time, I felt a million different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I'm thinking about now as we go into rehearsal tomorrow is just uh, historical accuracy. Because Mm -hmm. with this specific text, it's pretty complex. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of times we try to do our research as actors, but I find myself in a tricky spot here because I'm not really sure where to begin and end because the characters span, I think, if I'm not mistaken, over a larger piece of time.
1: Yes, Yes. The more I read the script and did my, did a research, I was like, oh, this is not, it's, um, as Leia says, it's, the character is inspired by real events and the character I'm playing, Sophia, is inspired by Sophia Bird and Pooley. She was not alive, actually, in the very year that the play is set. So it is, as you said, like, it's where do you, where do you kind of begin? Where do you stop with the accuracy? It's been a, it's been a journey with the research because I'm like, okay, this is a play, this is a script, but this is real life. Where do they meet? Mm. And um, that I would look forward to conversations we will have with that as a cast to see how we can move forward with that.
0: Okay, so it sounds like you've done some research already. You're sitting down with your notes here, <laughs> which is,
1: <laughs>
0: which makes me nervous because I am not the notes type of person. But it looks like, it look, I, I'm guessing that you've been uh, already somewhat studious mm. in, in doing some research. So what do you know about Sophia?
1: Sophia, well, her she was born in Fishkill in New York State. And she was born uh, into slavery to enslaved parents. Her father's name was Oliver, and her mother's name was Dinah. And she, at the age of seven, was kidnapped and taken upriver to uh, the Niagara Falls area. And she was sold by, um, it was actually her mat- her then master's son's-in-law who kidnapped her and took her up to Niagara. And then she was sold to, um, a, not certain of the pronunciation of his name, Danaga, or also known as Joseph Brandt. Um, and he uh, had her as his slave for about five years. The thing with Sophia is she gave an interview um, to an American writer in like the 1850s. And he he published it the following year. But her dates, are, according to her memory, she, her dates are kind of all over the place. As an enslaved woman, her date of birth is not really recorded. She says she could be up to 90 years old at the time of the interview. That may not actually have been true. Her account of her story... The years kind of are muddled, so it can't be very exact with the dates. But she believes she was um, with uh, Joseph Brandt for about five years before she was sold to another local man in Hamilton um, by the name, I believe, Samuel Hat. And from there, she was with him for maybe another seven years. And then she was told, well, actually, you're free. You've been emancipated. You can go. And he did not uh, hold her back. And from there, it's not really clear for a while, but she got married. Eventually, she settled in um, a settlement called Queen's Bush um, in, around the area. And she lived there for a few more years and passed away at age, question mark, maybe, maybe 90, maybe not. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So many questions from there. First off, I think it's important to talk about something we don't usually talk about which is slavery in Canada. Yeah. Uh, In particular, slavery driven, in this case, by a First Nations
1: person. Yeah, that was actually one of the things in the play that I was like, I didn't know that happened here. I'd heard of it in the States, um, but not in Canada. And you're very right, we don't talk about slavery in Canada at all. I was trying to remember if ever it was brought up in school, and I think... On one page in um, the notes of teacher gave us about the colonial era, there was like the triangle trade, and it said you know goods and services went from Canada to Europe. And one of the items was like oh from Africa to North America, slaves. That's it. We didn't t- talk about it in class. That's that was high school, and so I really didn't know much about Canadian slavery outside of some like dramatic narrative storytelling, as early as. Um, Do you remember the Canadian Heritage Minutes? Of
0: course. (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs)
1: Well, there's one that is a family waiting for their father to arrive in Canada because he came up through the Underground Railroad. And like that's the major narrative you get about slavery in Canada. We're on the good side of the Underground Railroad. And we've kind of, that's been, become sort of mythologized because it's, yes, we were, but there's so much more than that. So really, it's mostly been after I finished, you know, mandatory school (laughs) that reading books are fictional or nonfiction, that I've learned more about slavery in Canada, and that it goes back as early as 1608 is the first recorded enslaved person um, by a boy, apparently from Madagascar, called Olivier Lejeune, and this is in New France. Under the French regime, there was definitely slavery, and the British as well. So it's been, you know, it was a roughly... 200-plus years, slavery was officially abolished in 1834. There's so much to learn about that era, and I had no idea that um, for any First Nations um, communities were involved.
0: Yeah, it feels like there's there's so much to learn about the country. Mm -hmm. One of the things is this prison, the first prison in Toronto that is uh, a real prison, it's built under the St. Lawrence market. I know that when I read the piece for the first time, I was like, is this real? After some research, realized it was. And mm-hmm. whenever I tell people that, uh, they're like, yep, that makes sense. What was your first impression of, of learning about that prison?
1: I kind of got creeped out because I've been to the St. Lawrence market. I'm like, oh, oh, that's, that's icky. I've, you know, I don't necessarily truly believe in ghosts, but I'm like, but that still icky. I'm like, I was there. People are there for for getting food, for fun, for tourists. It's like, but below ground, some horrible things happened in the very building, which has been altered a bit since the the prison was there, but not a lot. Um, I've read in my research that apparently there's still a wall with um, the holes from where the chains were in the wall. And there's at least one account of a possible um, ghost sighting there. Ooh. Yeah.
0: The play itself paints a pretty eerie picture of what happens and transpires above this prison and what the prisoners experience you know, vis-a-vis that action that's happening above them. And then uh, I can't help but picture that, you know, as somebody who's been in the market. Like, p- picture myself walking through the market while something is happening mm. down below. And it started me. It's I started thinking about what else, what other history lays below our feet that we don't know.
1: So much. There's so much. I mean, to think that it seemed sort of like, oh, it's normal. There's a jail beneath the market because it was like the hub of the city, the market. City Hall was there as well. The history of the area is that, well, there was also like public um, – Punishments for those who committed crimes. So, like putting people in stocks and pillories and whippings happened. And it was just like, oh yeah, people came as entertainment to see that. So it was like a history of people are getting punished. Bad people get punished, and it's entertaining. And you know, they did bad, so we don't really feel sorry for them if they did bad because they didn't. The prisoners that and the women in their story didn't necessarily commit any crimes, but that was the place to put a woman who was difficult or challenging in some way, to the status quo. You now there's so much history because it was so, maybe they were so used to the status quo that it was like, yeah, it happened. Even in my research, I rarely found any article that really talked about the jail. that was like, there was a jail. Sometimes it got flooded. Hmm. That's about it.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the the type of prisoner hmm. we find in this jail, in this play. Can you run down the list of quote-unquote, criminals.
1: There's Irina. She's a mother and a housewife. She said in the place she's been there for about four years, and her crime seems to be that she was having menopause. And her husband was like, well, this woman is out of control. I need her off. Put her away. That was her crime. There's also Victoria, whose family put her there because... It's not named what her condition is, but she's lost the ability to speak. She's called a cripple, so physically she also has um, some limitations. And she's there because they, for their sake of the reputation of the family, they can't have her in the house, and they need somewhere to put her away. Oh, there's an Irish Mary who's been sent there because she is pregnant by through rape. She was a housemaid, and her owner, her, well, her boss, her owner, raped her, and doesn't want to shame his wife, so got to put her somewhere, put her in prison. It's, I mean, it's just, that's the status people had for women at the time. It was just like, well, you're a problem, go away. There is Mary, and she is accused, I think, of killing a priest, but I'm not entirely sure that, that actually happened. Like, I don't know. I felt, I don't know what you felt bad.
0: I mean, there are, yeah, yeah, there are questions about the crimes that all of these people have committed. Yeah. And again, crimes, quote unquote mm-hmm. crimes. But I think you painted a really accurate picture of what the play is trying to portray, mm. which is that these women are not really criminals, but they're the unwanted. Rather than trying to treat or address any issue heads on, it was much easier to throw them in jail.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, out of sight, out of mind. Right. And uh, women weren't really considered legally persons, so there was the uh, the law, so to speak, was on, not on their side. Well, let's talk about
0: that a little bit, because that's I think that's really indicative of the time, the era. Yes. So, so in your research, can you paint a picture of what it was like to be a Canadian, or what Canadian society was like? in 1887
1: when the play is set. So Canada is a young country. It's only 20 years after Confederation. All while Queen Victoria is technically the head of state, the country is one run by white men. Sir John A. Macdonald's Prime Minister, a white uh, mayor, governor, lieutenant governor, uh, governor general. Um, these, are, these are all men largely of European ancestry. And the idea is, well, you know, we're, we're more or less used to be British subjects and... That's still sort of the heart of the, the heartland, the motherland. But it was not a society very welcoming of anything other than that. When I was looking up women's rights, I came across the fact that, well, voting rights kept getting restricted and restricted, where originally that there was some leeway for women just because the law said persons can vote if they own property. And then bit by bit the various provinces when jurisdictions pulled back on it, they're like, well, women property owners maybe. But they have to be unmarried or widowed, and then specifically there were specific restrictions on uh, the indigenous communities, um, Black Canadians, Chinese Canadians, because they wanted to keep them out of power. So Canada was claiming, to, you know, be this great land. Come, 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 settle here. But of course, that came with the erasure of the indigenous communities who are already on the land. You know, renaming everything in the name of the new uh, European settlers it's a dichotomy that i don't think we've really recovered from yet
0: this is a part of the truth of the truth and reconciliation that's very important
1: mm-hmm.
0: to talk about discover unveil in my opinion prior to getting to the reconciliation part is it something you've done a lot of in the past uh research like this for a project
1: yeah i love research <laughs> <laughs> no <I'm> kidding <laughs> I'm curious by nature, very curious, um, and I, have, I like history, and I probably overdo the research, but I try to keep, you know, the script anchors me, what's what's relevant to the script, what's relevant to my character, but no, I like doing research, um, kind of speaks to the fact that I work part-time at a library, ah. so I have access to resources. It's not the first time. Um, a couple years ago, I did a play called Serving Elizabeth, and that's the only other play I've said that's set, in, like, based in real history. And it was set in the time just as Princess Elizabeth has become Queen Elizabeth, because she was in Kenya when her father passed away. And I played a character, a Kenyan woman, who was not um, pro-monarchy. And it was an era, I don't know much about the history of Kenya. So I had to really look into it, colonization of the country, and that it was right on the cusp of a strong independent movement that maybe a decade after it the queen um, became queen, really went into a rebellion that was brutally repressed by the British. I like doing the research because it really does inform what I have to do. I have to be this character. I need to see the world as they would see it. So any historical reference in the script that I don't understand, I look it up. I want context. And sometimes it's, I mean, I do a lot before I get in the first day of rehearsal, but one of the joys of doing the, the last project, Serving Elizabeth, is that a lot was discussed in the rehearsal room. So the other cast members and the director brought information, which you can which you know coming from books, articles, documentaries. YouTube is a great resource, of course. So, no, I really do like hearing the research, and I think it helps, especially in this situation. Because well,
0: of- you mentioned wanting to stay true to how the characters saw the world and saw things. We we live in in a time today where, as theater practitioners, we're taking more and more care of our audiences. I think, or at least we're aware of how audiences feel and react to our to our shows.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so, I wanted to ask you, in your in you in you striving to make it as real of a representation of what this character might have saw or experienced. Do you hold any sort of fear or concern for how hard that truth might be to swallow?
1: Yes. Sophia, as she's written here in the play, poses quite a challenge for me. I've never played a character like her. And once you see the show, you know that she's been through a very, very rough life and it has left a mark on her. And both... As Karen the actor, but as if I was watching this in the audience, I'm very aware of the representation of a black woman on stage at all times, and you know black Canadian women based on true story, so I do feel fear as to how um how I will be able to do this, how she'll be how my performance will be received, and how any audience member might perceive it, which again is that this is a performance it is a piece of fiction based inspired by reality. But how that might, I don't know, sit in their psyche is beyond my control. So, to a degree, I've just got to let that go. But it just, I just do think about adding that to the like the legacy of poorly done portrayals of, of black women on screen and on stage. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And what do you think the remedy to that is?
1: Well, I think the reality is, I mean, I it's. <laughs> An actor's job is to portray humanity, in my opinion. And humanity has beautiful moments and less beautiful moments. That's in everybody, and I think that the better, the, the good path forward is to be uh, acknowledge that. In one person, can be someone who does incredible acts of generosity, but is also capable of atrocities. Um, and that's just the reality, I think, of our species, the human condition. And we need to embrace that. Even if it, it is, it's bittersweet, but it is the reality.
0: I think you're right, and I think there's also something to be said about how the process is treated, what kinds of discussions happen in the rehearsal hall, mm-hmm. how we approach things and and as a as a unit, as a team. you know, I looked at what my characters have to offer, and I'm not playing the nicest of humans, maybe one of them is, but mm-hmm. and you know one of the things that was pretty clear to me very early on when reading it for the first time was this guard character eh, is, to say the least, a little rough with mm-hmm. the woman. That, too, is something, I guess, that might be hard for some people to handle.
1: Yeah. And I was reading that. I was like, this relationship, as relationships that they had to be in a prison, under those conditions, in that era, it's it's tough. It's not pretty. It's a lot. And I think it is like you said it's rough it's rough I'm sorry i lost track
0: <laughs> no it's joking. okay it's okay that's my job i keep track you talk <laughs> <laughs> we're heading into rehearsal tomorrow with what i think is a pretty fantastic creative team yes um have you had the opportunity to work with a in the past
1: no no i met her first time on zoom so i'll be meeting her properly in person <laughs> for the first time tomorrow.
0: <laughs> and from what i understand uh yvette holds a pretty interesting audition process can you talk about at least the second part of that like mm. it is it, not a typical callback is it? no yeah. no
1: um when I got noticed that I was asked to do a callback, I was like, okay, I've got to go back to the script, like over the scene that I did. I'm going to read it again with uh, another actor. And then when I just saw the Zoom screen open, I was just about, she's like, yeah, I just want to chat. I was like, oh, okay. Okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> Let's do that. And she explained her process of working, how she likes to to run her rehearsal room, and that it's very collaborative. And she wants to hear input from everybody. And she wanted to know if I was okay with that. And I was like, sure, this sounds great. I mean, coming off uh, at recent, my last show, that was very similar style. I was like, yeah, I want I want more of that. And I think that's the best way to go forward rather than sort of the old-fashioned, you know, director says, this, you do it. No hesitation, no discussion, no negotiation. So, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I think that's great.
0: It's, it's pretty interesting because it seems to me as mm-hmm. though theater is breaking down that that hierarchical structure Mm -hmm. that a lot of other industries still maintain. Yes. And I think it's pretty indicative of how um, progressive an art form we are. Because, you know, 15 years ago, we were 15, 20 years ago, we were talking more about equity and diversity and uh, accessibility and reconciliation than any other industry. And now you see – Oh, yeah. You know, Capitalist Canada catching up to that story. Mm-hmm. So do you think there's something to be said? Or what can we learn, I guess, from from that approach as far as breaking down that top-down structure?
1: Theatre is a collaborative art. For it to be one person's vision entirely is not a sustainable way of going forward. We're a cast of six. There's the, the who's the costume, lighting. Everybody who has... Their experience to bring to their professional experience, but also their life experience, and I think blocking that out it knock, locks out a lot of opportunities and to develop a very beautiful project. so you no, know, to have one vision it's not it's not worth it it's It's better to have multiple people who have input because they're putting their time and their sweat and their tears into this, and they're bringing their life experience with them, so well, collaborate. Collaborate. Yes. (laughs)
0: Um, I want to take this time just to get to know you a little bit better. Just very selfishly. (laughs) Um, So you're from NDG. Yes. And you went to Willingdon in elementary school, Mm -hmm. uh, which is my kid's school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you went to, did you say to Royal West? Yes. Okay. In high school. Yeah. When did you start acting?
1: Acting? Mm, That's kind of a tricky question. Okay. Because – for me, my acting journey has been a surprise to me because I was, a, I am still very shy, but I was super shy in school. So, whenever we were called on, or I was called on to do any like public speaking or any acting, I didn't want to do it. I found every possible way to get out of it. But at the same time, I was in like ballet classes after school. So, I do ballet performances. And growing up in church, I could sing in the choir, sing in the school choir, do little skits. And I was kind of okay with that. And I never thought, oh, I love this, I want to do this. It was like, yeah, it's that thing I do. So it really wasn't until I was um, in university at Concordia, and I, someone had actually sort of said, well, for shy people, maybe you should try acting classes. And that kind of just sat in the back of my head. So I took an elective at Teeper.
0: You're a Teeper kid?
1: I did two. I did teeper two, 101, 201 and 202. As intensives over the summer. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That's how we did it. That's cheaper. how I discovered acting. Wow. And I was like, I'm doing this. I don't know why, but I like it. And people seem to think I'm doing a good job. So I'll keep exploring this.
0: People seem to think I'm doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the most humble way of saying I'm working as an actor. When was that? When, was, when, were, when were the Teeper days for you?
1: Um, that, the first one was 2007. And then lots of stuff happened in my life. So I didn't get around to the 202 till maybe 2010-ish, 2011, probably 2011. Um, and by then, I'd sort of had the epiphany of, I love this. Um, I was out in Vancouver. It was the year of the Olympics, the, Paraly- the Winter Olympics. And I was performing in the as a dancer in the Paralympic opening ceremony. And after I was done, I was just like, I need this. I need more. I need more of this. Like, that's when I seriously was like, let me look into where can I study acting and perform properly. They went to Dawson. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Domi. So I went into Dawson's program for three years. And that's when I really was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I don't know where it's going to go. but I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then when you finished, I guess, like a year or two years later, mm-hmm. you went to Black Theater Workshops Artist Mentorship Program.
1: Yeah. I immediately went into AMP after graduating. Um, and it was the best choice to do because it really put me in touch with people like you mm. and my fellow peers in the industry. And it's a good program. I recommend that because I also got to work with people, not just actors, but uh, directors and stage managers and writers. So I got to really see multiple um, approaches to the craft, well, to theater, um, and got to see theater in Montreal. And I through uh, through BTW, I did my first show.
0: It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So this is a question that I, I like to ask folks on this podcast. as a closing question. mm mm-hmm. So opening night, February 15th, we're at the bar, The Centaur. You grab the drink. You're walking away. You see and hear two strangers talking about the show. What do you hope they're saying about the show?
1: I hope they're saying that they made a discovery, that they discovered something, something they didn't, new information to I mean, like I said, it's like a history lesson, this play. But, yeah, I want them to hear them talking about what they discovered, what they never knew about before whatever never crossed their mind.
0: And is there a little bit inside of you that has a preference for what that discovery might be?
1: No, I think this play is so rich. I'd be happy to hear about anything that they found in it for themselves.
0: I agree. I'm looking forward to working with you.
1: So am I. (laughs) I'm
0: not looking forward to having to push you around a little bit, but we'll get there when we get there. Yes. Karen, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Jimmy. My pleasure.
0: (laughs) Thank you for joining us for Inside Imigo. And thank you to Karen Roberts for spending this time with us. I've been your host, Jimmy Blair. Visit imagotheater.ca for more information about the flood and to purchase your tickets. The music that you've been listening to is The Strong Woman's Song, performed by Crystal Pedersen. This episode was recorded at Lands Community Digital Arts Hub with audio engineer Tyler Rauman. It was produced and edited by Dana Rea Vashik. Talk with you soon.